Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Alex. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear t- topics discussed. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Um, Not much to say about myself, but I would plug N.K. Jemison's The Broken Earth series. I've been reading that, not through it yet, but I'm enjoying it a lot. has fun world building. I'm always a fan of fun world building. I like world building, too. Yeah, me too. I like yeah. fun. Many things happen in this book, and some of them are fun. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. A lot of very, very, very not fun things happen in this book. I would argue that it is primarily not fun things. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. But I am still enjoying it. And Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I can also plug something. If you like, for fans of the Broken Earth trilogy... You might also like the Inheritance Trilogy, also by NK. The Splintered Earth Trilogy. <laughs> the Pulverized Earth Trilogy. The Shattered Earth Trilogy. No, I was actually going to say, um, well, that, that is actually a really good The trilogy, Lightly though. Massaged Earth Trilogy. Aww. Uh, I was going to say Turkish Delight. I was always told that they were <laughs> the candy bar. Like, I was always told that they were terrible, and, like, the last one at the bottom of the bag, and I actually really enjoyed it when I had it recently, so get you some. Oh, good good for you. Good for you. Probably the Turkish Delight candy bar, not actual Turkish Delights. Yeah, no, every time I've had actual Turkish Delights from, like, a real bakery, I thought they were pretty mediocre, but this candy bar was surprisingly good. Was it, was it like, covered in chocolate? Yeah, so it's, like... It's sort of more like Turkish Delight flavored, like dense gummy bear covered in really cheap chocolate. And like (laughs) something about how both the inside and the outside are equally crappy makes it kind of tasty. I don't know. I could see it. I could see it. It's it's like uh, Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah, it is like that. Yeah, it's like it's a comfort, crappy comfort food. I don't know. It's good. Imagine it. It's trying trying a candy that that gives you the feeling of nostalgia with no actual memories. Oh my god, it is. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I bet they talked about this thing in the Narnia books. I I almost remember reading those. <laughs> Are we ready to start with some topics? Let's do it. Yeah, Shannon, your topic is incomprehensible PSAs. Remember to slip, slop, slap, slip, seek, and slide. <laughs> That's right. You've got to remember to do those things. I'm going to forget. You care to guess what slip, slop, slap, seek, and slide was a PSA for? Uh, kitchen safety. Ooh. Well, you don't no, want no, no. to do that. Now let's figure out what each of these means in relation to kitchen safety before we tell the truth. If it's like maybe remember not to slip. Or remember slop. Slip. Or slap. Slop. <laughs> Seek and seek safe. still works in Does the event it? that all these other things are going on in your kitchen. Seek safety. <laughs> um, remember to slide your knives back into the knife block. Yeah, there you go. Remember to remember to slip your waiter at twenty. <laughs> Slap your meat onto a cutting board, not the counter. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we do with slop? Just so many slops. Slop the dirty dishwater. Into <laughs> appropriate dirty water containers. There you go. We got there. Before serving it to the customer. 
Yeah. No. Oh, no. All right, any other guesses? <laughs> well, I know the answer. <laughs> this fun. is just for Jim. Okay. Uh, let's, let's just let's go right okay. into it. <laughs> so it's, it's sun safety, protection from the sun. So knowing that, huh. give it a go. Uh, slip on your sunglasses. Oh, so close. So close. <laughs> You're actually going to slide on your sunglasses. Slide? Okay, all right. Sliding, all right. sliding on your sunglasses is one, but it isn't slipping on. Uh, s- slip on a patch of ice so you go to the hospital and you're in a building and safely can't see the sun. No, not not so much. That's more like seeking. That's more like seeking, actually. <laughs> seeking seeking shelter. Yeah. It's seeking shade. Uh-huh. So you you've got seeking shade and sliding on sunglasses, but you still got a slip, slop, and slap. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I, the slip, slop, and slap have to be like the three onomatopoeias for applying sunscreen. <laughs> Which one do you think is the onomatopoeia for applying <laughs> sunscreen? Because one of them is. I'm going to guess it's slop. It's slop. You got to slop on your sunscreen. There you go. <laughs> and then additionally, you will need to slip on a shirt and slap on a hat. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So this was a PSA in Australia that we saw and then proceeded to try to memorize because it's actually kind of good advice. But it, you know, this just resulted in us getting ready for the day when we were in Australia going, did you remember to slop? Did you remember to slip? (laughs) Have you slided? Let's seek. I forgot to slap. I forgot to slap. But yeah, apparently it just started with the first three slip, slop and slap. And then sort of just, got abbreviated to just that without like the whole sentence and then they tacked on seek and slide and so now there's just posters that say remember to slip slop slap seek and slide with no context other than that (laughs) very good this is this is just something every every school child knows i guess you gotta it's important knowledge but seeing it completely out of context Took some learning. The the way they can improve those posters is just to add an asterisk at the end, but no asterisk explaining everything on the poster. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. What they did have was a cool looking grandpa who was wearing a shirt, sunscreen, sunglasses, a hat. Uh, Another another one we enjoyed was don't muck about. Oh, yeah. Which was just sort of generally in relation to interactions with spiders or snakes. They, they could they could definitely be more specific in the PSA. I mean, in the PSA, it gave you lots of actionable advice and specific things you should not do. But the phrase, don't muck about, really stuck in our heads. There were multiple times when we uh, were thinking of doing something where you, you should were, really... You were thinking see. about mucking about... Exactly. And we turned to each other and said, don't muck about. I was just thinking about another PSA from Canada. It was a song to teach you the difference between sheep and goats. And I can still remember the tune. Goats and sheep? Sheep and goats. Goats and sheep. We We live live where where the mountains mountains are steep. Yes, that one. Yeah, that one. And so now I know various ways of distinguishing sheep and goats, such as their habitat. And their behavior. Wait, do they not both live where mountains are steep? 
Uh, no, they do. They do. But, well, the goats, you know, they're better at climbing on the sheer cliff faces because of their hooves. I don't actually remember all the words. Uh, I just remember the takeaways. So yeah. the, the song did its job and then vacated your memory. Yeah. Well, except for the chorus. I do remember that. Climbing high, they don't need no ropes. Nope. 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 <laughs> the sheep have horns. Goats are climbing on the mountain, like cliff. I mean, the goats also have horns, but only the males. Yeah, it was, it was in there. Some are white and some aren't. Anyway, it had these two gentlemen who were cosplaying as sheep and goats uh, while singing this song. And the song is, like, way longer than it needs to be. It yeah. has, like, four verses. So you go into it thinking this is going to be a really short little ditty, How to Tell Sheep and Goats Apart, which is knowledge that Canadians apparently really need to know. Get, look it up on YouTube. It's worth it. You'll you'll know about sheep and goats. You can impress your friends. If you can watch the, the four-hour documentary about Disney World, you can watch this. That's right. <laughs> it's true. I love those documentaries. But I think just generally speaking... PSAs, it's important that they be memorable, and it's important that they be weird enough that people care about them and don't just ignore them. Right. And I feel like Slip Slop Slop Seek and Slide has landed firmly in that category. Yeah. In a way that many PSAs, I don't remember a whole lot of PSAs from the United States doing uh, similar work on me. Except I suppose you wouldn't download a, a car. Right. I think that the Your Brain on Drugs one might qualify. I'm still not convinced about the message, but it was memorable. It was memorable, for sure. And apparently that transcends generations because I also saw that one. I do actually remember a PSA that I saw as a kid that was very effective, which was a drunk driver singing the song how could this happen to me was that just the music video <laughs> i don't know but it was like a drunk driver and there's like this dead girl that he's hit i mean it was like very serious you know it's him talking about how could this happen to me da, da, da. and then at the moment of impact like throughout the song you've been seeing her family like preparing dinner and hanging out and whatever and at the moment that the car impacts in slow motion, all of her family members also are thrown across the room as though they have been impacted by it as well. I thought it was actually really, like, touching and good overall how it showed, like, this doesn't just impact the person you hit, it ruins all these other people's lives, too. Was it a PSA or was it just the music video? I, I don't know. It might have just been... <laughs> video for that song I'm, I'm really unclear on that front to be honest okay so what psas do we feel like are really important that aren't being shared with the world right now what psas would you want to share with your local community hmm. i feel like people need to know how to use google better hmm. one on how to use search atoms i feel like that would really benefit kids these days how are you going to do that in something as concise as slip, slop, slap, seek, and slide? I didn't think this far ahead. I also want to know how to search Google. Maybe so do I. Like, I need to get a refresher course, make a cheat sheet, and then turn the cheat sheet into a slogan. That's how I'm going to make my millions, maybe. I don't think you actually get millions of dollars for doing PSAs, do you? Maybe you should. No, I think you use 
tax dollars. No, it should be like advertisements. The more people who have it memorized, the more you get paid. That's how it should work. I want a PSA on not playing things on speakerphone in public. Mm. Like if you're scrolling through Tumblr and you find a funny video on your phone and you're on the train, that's a shame. You're going to have to save that for later or put in some headphones. If you're on the train, that's a shame. Mm. <laughs> All right. Good. If you're on a train, that's a shame. Uh, I think people need a PSA about how social media is bad for you. Ooh. Ooh. Man, I've never thought about that. About that that social media is detrimental to our mental health and society as a whole. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, would, I just meant like to mental health, but yes, also like also bad for society. Yeah, no. No, I've never considered that spending hours and hours of my time on social media and seeing only terrible news and um, not going outside could have a negative impact on me. That's a really important message. What if you'd seen a, a video with platitudes in it, with rhyming platitudes? Yeah, that would help. Gosh, that would have saved me a lot of time on Facebook. Yeah, I could have just left. Uh, so, by the way, I, I was just scrubbing through the video for the sim that Simple Plan song. Okay. And you, you were describing the music video. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe it was just that my school played the music video as a PSA. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. If I was a band and I released a music video that I thought was super hot shit, and then some principal played it for a bunch of kids as a PSA... I would have very conflicted feelings about that. This thing was a PSA, though. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It wasn't publicly funded, but it was absolutely a PSA. Yeah, well, music videos, like, it was very common for a music video to have, like, uh, trying to get a message out to the kids. Seriously? About, about how it's important to use condoms or whatever. Wait, that was, like, a trend? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, th this was right... Like at the height of the AIDS crisis, like in the early '90s, is what? Okay, when I say this, I mean the early '90s is the era that I'm thinking of. Okay, and that was right at the height of the AIDS crisis, and like it was extremely common for pop culture aimed at kids, uh, even cool pop culture, to have a like a a pro safe sex message. Really interesting. I think I must have just caught the tail end of that. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of that. That's pretty odd. Actually, speaking of popular music relating to various crises at that time, a song I heard on the radio that I had never <laughs> heard before when I was in Australia was the song, Do They Even Know It's Christmas? Are you familiar with this little jingle? Isn't Wasn't that like the equivalent of, of the um, We Are the World song? Where they got a bunch of celebrities together to Kinda, sing, yeah. sing a song, like where the proceeds go to charity. Yeah, it was apparently a charity song, and it was particular. It was especially written because of a uh, famine that was ongoing, I believe, in I want to say Ethiopia at the time. But the way it is written, it did not age well at all because it really makes it sound like they're saying. Everywhere 
in not, you know, um, the Western world. It's, it has lyrics like, uh, there's plants don't grow there. There's, there's no water, only tears and things like that. And then wraps up with, do they even know it's Christmas there? And it's just very, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something to hear on the radio. Yeah, that was, we were listening to that on Christmas Day. That was jarring. I was listening to these lyrics being like, are they just saying that all of Africa is a desert wasteland full of crying children? Because I'm pretty sure that is what the message of this song is. And if only, if only they had a Santa Claus like us, <laughs> things could be different. If only missionaries would go there, that would solve all of the problems. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting one. Yeah, the um, We Are the World was a similar thing. It was to address starving kids in Africa. Did yeah. it work? I mean, I, as far as I know, it did raise several million dollars for that charity. But um, the turns out the music industry isn't actually that big a financial mover. Hmm. Huh. Like, I remember reading, this was like, I read this like 10 years ago, that if... Google wanted to solve the problem of, of like the music industry, like issuing takedowns to YouTube videos. They could just buy the whole thing. The, wow. The music industry. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It turns out like as a, as a culture, we don't value art that much. So I believe that. Well, yeah, we've sort of gotten into this niche of getting art for free. Oh yeah. And it's only getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Are we ready for another topic? Let's do it. Alex, your topic is games which use player ignorance as a major mechanic. Oh, yeah. I've been playing Tunic lately. Me too. Really enjoying that. I just like, there's there's a lot I like about it, actually, but like I, I really like the charming sort of, um, this is like you remember an, a playing SNES games where like you went to the store or okay this is an experience i had like literally a few times as my parents took me to the toys r us i think and grabbed a snes cartridge off the shelf that i didn't know anything else about just you know the box art attracted me and on the drive on the way home i would read the manual to try and figure out what's going on yeah uh, except that this particular manual isn't written in english and you lost almost all of the pages uh, <laughs> Somehow inside the game itself, which I'm not trying to you know think too hard about because finding them is part of the joy of the game too. But the whole game, a, a big part of it is just the enjoyment of learning what is going on in the game, including the mechanics, which I find really neat. Yeah, I agree. I, I think so. Tunic, um, if, if you're not familiar, listeners, is kind of a Zelda-like, but it's it's a Zelda one-like. It's not. Like it, the, the a lot of the rest of the series got very talky and handholdy, uh, but this game is a lot more like the it'll just drop you in a world where basically there's basically no text. Although in this case, it's the the text is in a foreign language, and you just have to explore and figure out what you can even do. Like you're figuring out the interface as you go. You're figuring out like the ways you can interact with the world. And as Alex was saying, you find like one of the common collectibles in this game is pages of the game's manual, uh, which 
is interesting because you find the pages out of order. If you once you once you complete the manual, you can read through it and it kind of makes a certain sense as it's laid out, but the pages that you collect as you as you go through the game are actually like the exactly the ones that like it's extremely designed like this is the page you need right now in order to proceed with this part of the game. So yeah. within the context of the game, you're saying that these are like man a manual for the game. Yes. So it is acknowledging that you are a player. It's yeah. odd because like when you open up the manual, the the main screen of the game kind of gets a CRT filter on it. It, it it's trying to put a filter on it to make it look like it was a NES or SNES game. Yeah. Uh in the background behind the manual. Yeah. And so it's it's definitely deliberately evoking the idea of uh of this is this is supposed to be reminiscent of like of playing old games and like the the full fidelity version of the game is what your imagination showed you. Yeah, definitely. And it's got that I, I particularly liked the experience that they give you. You said it was designed the way that you you acquire the pages in a particular order, but there was a part that I particularly enjoyed where there's a page sitting just out of reach for a long time. Yeah, that by the time you actually acquire it, it's like a really important part of the story that was absolutely not clear until like just moments before you acquire the page when you have figured it out yourself. <laughs> right. But it was, there's uh, there's a lot of fun surprises in that game. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that game, um, Tunic specifically, goes real deep. Uh you can you can finish the, the Zelda like part of the game in probably like eight hours, and then I would guess there's at least another eight hours of like additional weird secrets to discover. Mm. Like layers and layers and layers of them. Yeah, I believe that. I, I haven't quite finished the Zelda-like part, although I suspect I'm quite near the end. Yeah, I um, I got frustrated by the combat in that game pretty hard. Like, so it has a, it has two accessibility options for, and they're in two different menus. Like, one of them is in accessibility, one is in like extra options. Mm. Uh, one of them is called reduced combat difficulty, and I put that on. And so I was like, okay, this is kind of a, this is a fun game with very like uh simple combat or like I don't want to learn any combat system in any game nowadays. Like it's just <laughs> not uh I I I would rather like games not have combat in them and barring that mm. uh easy combat I'll put up with. Sure. And I went through most of the game that way, but then I got to like a pretty rough section that was like I was just banging my head on it, even with the reduced difficulty combat. And so I turned on the other accessibility option, which is called no fail mode where you just don't die. <laughs> uh, and that was fine. And th that was especially fine because like at that time I was already basically at the end of the, of the game, the part of the game where combat is a major, major component of it. Yeah. And the rest of it is just like discovering secrets. I think the only game I've played that I'm guessing would fall in this category would be Undertale, arguably. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard about that. My referent for it was Fez. Oh, Fez is a good example, too, without spoiling Fez. But in the first few minutes of Fez, 
there is some reveals that happen that are uh, pretty exciting. <laughs> I was thinking of also Outer Wilds. Yes. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. I never finished it because I just like I like Outer Wilds is extremely my jam in many respects. Um, but I never finished it because like it just got to the point where like there were these jumping puzzles that you have to do in order to proceed. And if you fail them, you just lose 20 minutes of your real life time, basically. Yeah, there were a couple of sections like that. And I just didn't have the patience for it. But like, yeah, outer. Go ahead and describe outer wilds. Yeah, that. Well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to give it a try? Yeah, you better do that. <laughs> okay. So, outer wilds is a game where you play uh, a dude who, you, like, you start out in a a village full of aliens, and the aliens are all obsessed with like space exploration, and they've built a spaceship out of like wood and leather. Oh yeah. You eventually go up into this spaceship and you start, you can like fly to any of the nearby planets. And these planets are like, it's set in like a, like a Jules Verne conception of the solar system where planets are like a five minute rocket ride away. Yeah. Uh, And you can, you can fly to any of these planets and explore them. And like talk to the dog playing banjo on the moon, or or go to one, any of any of the the more uh, dangerous, violent planets. And when you when you die, which you will inevitably do, the game kind of resets. Uh, but you you retain your knowledge of like you retain your the player knowledge of the previous playthrough. Yeah. Uh, and you use this like multiple playthroughs through this dying repeatedly setup uh, to solve the mystery of like what is going on with this solar system. Yeah. And I love the, the absolute purity of the way they implemented this. Like there's, you, you maintain absolutely nothing between playthroughs or between loops, I should say. Yeah. Like no, no like upgrades. Yeah. You don't have any abilities. You don't unlock anything. Like you learn a, a code or something and you keep it in your brain and that's the only thing that that you you maintain between loops. So there is actually there is one thing. There's a database in your computer. Oh, is that, there? There that has like a, some sort of network, a knowledge network. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, just to remind you of um, like of what you've what you've seen already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Which I think do- was just like it was just a concession to like people are not. <laughs> people can't keep all that shit in their heads. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It doesn't do anything other than remind you what you haven't done yet. Right. But yeah, I was really impressed with like just the 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 creativity of all the different ways these planets can be weird. Like there's a there's a pair of planets locked in orbit with each other and if, 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 as far as I can tell what's happening is that like sand flows back and forth between them. I think they're called the hourglass twins. Yeah. And so um, if you go to the hourglass twins early in the solar system cycle, you'll be able to explore one of them. And if you go late, you'll be able to explore the other because the sand has left it. And now you can explore the caverns in there. So similar to Majora's Mask where... Yeah, I I do think this game took inspiration from Majora's Mask. Yeah. Hmm. 
in that you can only do certain things on certain days of your time loop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love the way in this game you're like, I don't know what I should do. I guess I'll go, you know, look at the moon. And then at five o'clock on the moon, you learn, you know, this thing is going on at four o'clock on this other planet. And you're like, oh, next loop, I'll go to the other planet and do this other thing. And everything has to line up in time. Oh, it's very clever. Good game. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of Majora's Mask. It's a, I did think of another game I've played that relies on player ignorance, and that's a little thing called Frog Fractions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, in case it's not clear to the audience, these kinds of games are kind of my jam. Yeah, no, I, I am really, really into um, the uh, the kind of game where most of the fun comes from figuring out how to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't played Undertale? I, I played it, but I then I finished it, and I just didn't. It didn't grab me. Did you do? You, did you finish it, or did you like do the first run? So I um, I was trying to do a pacifist run. Uh huh. But they don't let you do a pacifist run the first time. The, the, well, the, you have to kill the final boss. Right. And so that, I was like, "Well, fuck this game." Okay, but that's like all right. There's like a whole nother half of the game after that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I would argue that that isn't the final boss. Let me put it that way. Yeah. He, is, he is but a mini boss. But yes, that is. I think that I think that the problem with people knowing that Pacifist Run existed and going into. I mean, don't get me wrong. I started with a Pacifist Run as well, and I also ran into that same frustration of what do I do? I can't not kill him. You, you in fact can not kill him. Actually, <laughs> you just right. Have to you, just, that. you just have to kill him first. Mm, I'm pretty sure there was a way to do it without killing him. You just had to figure it out. Oh well. But if you succeed in doing that, then it unlocks the essentially backstory of like what happened in this place and what's going on and everything. I definitely remember, like, I enjoyed Undertale in general because I had never really played a long game like that, and so I was enjoying the little bits and things, but when that part unlocked, when I, you know, when I failed on that boss, as one is kind of supposed to, uh, and got to the, like, for people who have played laboratory levels, that was where I was, where I kind of was like, holy shit, this is really cool. So it took a long time to get there, but um, but yeah, I remember feeling that feeling of like that sense of I have found something that many people don't find or don't get to. Yeah, and that was a really cool experience. And so then playing through those levels and getting to the real final boss and actually defeating the real final boss made me feel very very accomplished. I thought it was good, but I, I recognize that it is a huge time commitment to get to that point of the game. So, Right, right, yeah. But yeah, I appreciate games like that. I even like games that have twists to them, even if it's not. like It's much better when it's a mechanic thing, but I remember really liking uh, like Bioshock's ending. When you say Bioshock's ending, do you mean the thing that happens in the middle? where? Okay, fair enough. It's kind of in the middle. But I, I just remember that being one of the f earlier times that I personally experienced a game that threw any kind of twist at me, as opposed to just being kind of what it is on its face. 
Yeah, yeah. But it, it seemed like there was a a trend or a, a boom of games that were attempting to do that sort of thing to various degrees of success. Yeah, Bioshock specifically kicked off uh, a number of AAA games. And in fact, I would say this trend is continuing to this day of like games that are like, they're trying to make artistic statements about AAA games. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Doki Doki Literature Club is one that didn't grab me that I think tried to do um, interesting stuff, but I would argue that How to Full Boyfriend was a better. Oh, yeah. Do you, would you say How to Full Boyfriend was the same sort of thing? Kind of. Honestly, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of was, but better. <laughs> like, How to, it, How to Full, to my knowledge, How to Full doesn't do this thing where it messes around with your actual like like shutting down the game and your desktop stuff yeah it doesn't, i don't right. think it does that when i where as i think i believe that doki doki does however i do have to say that like i guess maybe for some people going into doki doki not knowing what it was going to be um it was probably pretty effective yeah so i will i will say that like one thing about doki doki literature club that that is a big advantage over how to full boyfriend is that how to full boyfriend is weird on its face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, Doki Doki literature club starts out being like, it's a, it's just a dating game. Uh, and then, and then gets weird. But I think that, I think that how to full still succeeded at least for me because it was, it was weird, but it was weird with such a simple, dumb premise. Yeah. That was very cute. And there's so much content that's just, this is cute and nice and such a dumb premise. So I think it actually like threw me for a loop when it did get dark and weird because I thought the joke was over. Like I wasn't sitting there, like with Doki Doki, I, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because I don't normally play those types of games. And so I was like, what's, as somebody who doesn't normally play that type of game, playing Doki Doki, I was waiting for something to happen because it had been recommended to me. Whereas right. with Hotful, I wasn't waiting for something to happen because the whole thing was a joke. So when something did happen, it was surprising to me. Oh, that's interesting. I also didn't really appreciate Doki Doki pulling the scare the way that it did. Like if I was playing it and I was actually just a genuine liker of that genre and I was not expecting anything to happen and then I suddenly got jump scared with a suicide image. I would not be super happy about that. Yeah. I mean, I think there were trigger warnings in the Steam downloads and stuff like that. But it, it really was just kind of... I, I, I thought it was a little bit too much like just trying to shock you with gore um, in a way that I didn't personally like. Yeah. And I like horror. Don't get me wrong. I just thought it was kind of uh, lazy horror. So yeah, that's fair. Whereas I thought that the horror story that came out of How to Full Boyfriend was actually pretty scary and quite effective, <laughs> despite it being about pigeons. Are you ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, my topic is Man Out of Space Easiest. Which is a propo- I'm reading from Wikipedia here, a proposed emergency bailout system 
capable of bringing a single astronaut safely down from Earth orbit to the planet's surface. Um, from space? So, yes, from space. What happens is uh, the astronaut ejects from the from the failing spaceship and climbs into a plastic bag. <laughs> Off to a good start. Uh, Go on. Fills the bag with foam, which... I'm not sure if that was like a heat shield type of thing or just structural or both. Okay. Uh, there's a, although there is an ablative heat shield on the back and okay. on the other side, there's a, a, a rocket. Oh my. Wait, on the plastic bag? Attached to the plastic bag. Yes. Okay. okay. And the, ro- the rocket fires uh, towards the earth. Uh, presumably the astronaut has to aim it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the heat shield hopefully will, and the foam hopefully uh, prevents you from burning up. And then once you reach low enough, that the parachute automatically opens. Okay. That sounds tricky. I have some questions. So there it is. <laughs> well. Where does the moose come into play? Uh, moose stands for man out of space easiest. Ah. Oh, uh, that's or, what <laughs> they came up with the word moose first, and then tried to squeeze in something to make that work. Uh, well, apparently that was the original acronym, but it was later changed to manned orbital operations safety equipment. That's boring. So did yeah. they did they ever like test it at all? I believe it was never. I I'm actually not even sure it was ever built. Only yeah. tested on a moose. Yeah. Well, that would be illegal in Canada. You can't drop moose out of planes in Canada. Well, it's not a plane. Well, it's an aerial vehicle. What is a plastic no bag? Air. What is a plastic bag with a rocket attached if not a plane? Hmm. Uh, according to this, it was proposed by General Electric. Neither NASA nor the Air Force expressed an interest in the moose system. <laughs> so apparently, it. Apparently, it was not appealing to uh, space professionals. Is there an actual thing that is used, or is it just if something goes wrong, you die? I think you just gotta, like, you wait in your vehicle for somebody to come get you, and hopefully they do. So there isn't, like, an existing similar system that is in use, that... Right? It's just... I believe there is no, like, space life life raft, no. I'm not aware of one. It's, like, probably the biggest problem... I mean, the, the hitting the ground from space is, like... There are several big problems here. But, like, this is specifically to get you out of orbit. And deorbiting things is actually pretty hard. Yeah, right, like... Right, You have to stop your lateral motion as well as... Yeah... How much force of the yeah, like how much rocket propulsion are you gonna need to break yourself out of You're just a dude in a plastic bag, so Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I assume that's the only thing you really need the rocket for. I guess it depends on how patient you are. I can speak on it with authority because of my time in Kerbal Space program. I mean, part of me is like this is ridiculous on its face. And another part of me is like we land tiny well they're not tiny but we land vehicles on mars and we managed to hit an asteroid recently with a projectile yeah 
pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but th- that's that's nowadays. This was in the sixties. Oh, oh, oh no. no. Well, okay. The the idea that anybody was going to space or the moon in the sixties is it's true. Wrong. Yeah, it it pretty pretty ludicrous. And also the fact that we didn't that we just stopped like going places. Well, it was really expensive. It is really well, expensive. and also like computers, like robots, got better than we were at doing the things we went into space to do. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I remember I read an essay recently arguing that like if we sent a team, like a a, a team of humans to Mars, um, because of like treaties that we've signed about like not contaminating other planets with our biological life forms with our like human bacteria Mm. they would just end up like staying inside like it would be like living in an airplane uh, that that had landed and they'd be remote piloting mars rovers from inside the airplane well instead of from here yeah that sucks yeah, that's not a very good incentive to go there. So we've signed treaties that are like anti-terraforming treaties? So I think this came about after we discovered that like that life is incredibly versatile in terms of like there 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 are bacteria that live on the outside of the ISS, for example. Mm. That's wild. And bacteria that live like near like thermal vents that we assumed would be too hot for life. Yeah. And there is a pretty decent chance that there are there is some form of life on Mars even if it's if it's not complex life, it's like some sort of microbial life. Right. That and, we just haven't found yet. Right. And like I th- I think there's a, a a good value in not fucking with that life. Yeah. No, that makes sense. At, at least give it a chance to be discovered. Although I do think there's also some value in seeing what types of life would do okay on, you know, in another... Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, that would also be extremely interesting. Man, I don't know. If I were an astronaut in the 60s and somebody showed me a plastic bag that I had to climb into, <laughs> if everything it's, went wrong... Is it that different from the mercury capsule... No, I guess it isn't. It it's, just, it's made of plastic, so there's that. It makes me think of, again, when we were in Australia, because we just got back, we went to see the world's largest uh, saltwater crocodile that's in captivity. And while we watched them feed this crocodile that is near 20 feet long, um, right on the other side of a fence... They helpfully told us what one should do if one has been caught by a saltwater crocodile and wants to live, Uh which is to reach down to the back of its throat, pull a little flap forward, which will fill the mouth with water, and it will then release you. And then proceeded to say, good luck with that. The quick release flap. Yes. And I'm looking at this crocodile and thinking, well, I wouldn't be able to reach because the length of his jaw is longer than the length of my arm by a significant amount so that's not going to happen so the real answer to how to not get eaten by a saltwater crocodile was don't go in the water anywhere and i feel like this has a similar vibe to it where it's like if this is the way that you survive this 
if you really want to survive it, the answer is don't be in space. Don't go to space. This is this is my advice to you, the listener. As your attorney, don't go to space. This, there is a way, technically, that you can survive this. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think this bag serves the same purpose as like, you know, signing up for one of those cryogenic services that'll cryogenically freeze your head. Mm. In that, like, instead of no chance to survive, you have a slim, an extremely slim chance to survive. Okay. That, like, especially for an atheist, like, that's, uh, that's nice. Hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's nice to have that little bit of something, which, side note, plugging, uh, Red Valley. Yeah. <laughs> Stories about cryogenically frozen things. Okay, sure. I was going to guess that was a salad dressing. Red Valley? It kind of does sound like one. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought about it in terms of just like, this doesn't really have to work. It just has to give you a little bit of comfort. It's pretty hard to think of a situation you'd be in where you wouldn't just stay in your ship, I guess. I guess the ship was on fire. Maybe that's a pretty good reason. I have a question. Is the plastic bag clear? (laughs) And the phone, like, can you see out? While this occurring, because in, fucking imagine what a wild ride that would be. I mean, how are you gonna aim the rocket if you can't see out, though? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Are they supposed to aim the it's rocket? It's the '60s, and it's a bag. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think. Wait. Yeah. How does that? How is that supposed to work? Maybe. Maybe it's clear foam. Clear foam and a clear bag, because otherwise the rocket is just firing when you think you're angled the right way. I mean, to be fair, I think that's just how they were flying missions at the time, so... How would you... Alright, so assuming that you have to see... Man, that'd be as close as possible to just hurtling to the Earth in your own little weak body... Yeah, pretty much. That'd be weird. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not a plastic bag. It's a polyester bag. Oh, of course. Hmm. That's way it's, better. It's uh, it's not clear. Oh man. Wait. Okay. Then how does the so how do they aim, work? Yeah. How do they aim the rocket? <laughs> Interesting. Maybe you aim it when you get in, and you have to hold really still. Yeah. Uh huh. Just never. Don't don't apply any torque to this bag. Yeah, make sure the rocket is perfectly over your center of mass when you fire it. What shape <laughs> is your body supposed to be in? Are you like curling up or like Superman posing? Uh, so this illustration, it looks like you're in fetal position. Yeah, I would be. <laughs> I don't think I'd have much of a choice but to be in fetal position. The uh, the the ablation shield goes right on your butt. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a snorkel. Oh. Um, well, that's for after you have landed. For, for I guess, yeah. I... That's got no. That's got to be for when you have landed in the ocean and can't get out of your foam entombment capsule. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. It would probably take them a while to find the foam capsule. Can you break out of it? I doubt it. It's got to be pretty sturdy, I would think, to save you from the air this is did you watch the movie gravity yes it, this is making me think of that and how implausible yeah that's and yet how much earth would feel just so nice it like 
I don't care where you land on Earth. <laughs> like, I could land in a place where normally I'd be like, oh my gosh, being here is the worst possible thing. Like Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Detroit, but no, that's, that's a joke. Uh, it's just like, you know, if you landed in the middle of the Sahara Desert, you'd still be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's, uh, I'm not going to die. I'm going to die in, in hours, not in minutes. Yeah, you know, another fun fact is apparently the Russians in their early landing capsules would put a shotgun in the landing capsule because the astronauts would land in Siberia and they had bears there. <laughs> okay, I thought this was for like if you needed to to suicide. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's for the bears apparently. Maybe the bears thing was the official story. I don't know. Right. Yep. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, this topic, we're going to be doing the poem uh, Stepped on a Plum, Overripe Plum, Barefoot is what I've chosen. I, I snipped the first, like, seven words out of the poem and decided that was the title. Who would like to re read this poem? There's a, you have to read it correctly. Yeah, uh, if, and, and you have opinions about what that means, so you do it. So I'll is, try. Who is it by? Who is it by? Who is it by? It's by so it's posted on a Tumblr called Clown First Lover Second, but that doesn't mean that person that the Clown First Lover Second wrote it. Hopefully, that is who wrote it. Because the next thing that is is on this Tumblr is a is a picture of like a character from Disco Elysium. I think it is. Well, Disco Elysium is very popular on Tumblr. That's true. I think it's important to say actually at the top to listeners no put it back he's we're showing it on the tv sorry uh is that it is a single paragraph and pretty much the only punctuation i believe the only punctuation is parentheticals yeah that seems it seems right i'm going to attempt to voice these parentheticals okay all right good luck 19 parenthetical phrases but none are uh Nested. No. None are nested. Correct. Stepped on a plum. Overripe plum. Barefoot. It was on the driveway. Got out of the car and accidentally... Didn't know it was there. Stepped on the plum. Warm. On the ground. It had fallen from the tree. Barefoot. No shoes. Wearing long pants. Too long. Need to hem them. Plum viscera got on them. The pants. Unexpected plum on the driveway. Hot plum. 97 degrees out. Already super hungover, throwing up all morning. Should not have been driving at all. And I stepped out of the car, black car, 97 degrees out, and onto the plum. Unexpected. I didn't know the plum was there. And it burst. Plum nightmare on my only good pair of sweatpants. Still, we find ways to keep ourselves going from day to day. I tried. No, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think th that was exactly what this poem looks like. That's art. Yeah. I don't know. I like the artistic... I like the style of... I, you know what? Show me the poem again. I want to do something else really quick. I'm going to read the poem again without the parentheticals. Stepped on a plum. It was on the driveway. Got out of the car and accidentally stepped on the plum. Barefoot. Wearing long pants. Plum viscera got on them unexpected plum on the driveway already super hungover 
and I stepped out of the car and onto the plum, and it burst, still we find ways to keep ourselves going from day to day. So that's the poem without any parentheticals. Yeah. Now, now give me only the parentheticals. <laughs> okay, now only the parentheticals. Overripe plum, barefoot, didn't know it was there, warm, on the ground, it had fallen from the tree, no shoes, too long, need to hem them, the pants, hot plum, 97 degrees out, throwing up all morning, should not have been driving at all, black car, 97 degrees out, unexpected, didn't know the plum was there, plum nightmare on my only good pair of sweatpants. That's also pretty good. Wow, those are both individually pretty good poems. We we just did three poems on this episode of Topic Lords. Wow, I think we did. I I'm trying to figure out if the last line is a is a joke because I think it's pretty funny. It's good. It's good. It's it's a good line. I think that it uh, kind of sells it. It sells the plum nightmare. It sells the concept. That this was a very bad experience for this person. Right. So they, this person is someone who differentiates between good and bad sweatpants mm. and doesn't like getting plums on the good sweatpants, but is still muddling through. Who hems their sweatpants? <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's another excellent joke that's in this poem. You know what is interesting about this poem? I feel like lots of poems, the intent of the poem is to uh, evoke the feeling that the person, like, I would expect reading this poem that the, that the, that what should happen is that I feel that plum under my foot. You know what I mean? That I'm given that feeling. And that's not really what's happening. What I'm being given here, I feel like, is the image of like a close friend watching their super hungover friend react to stepping on a plum and how terrible it was for them. Like, I don't feel like I'm stepping on the plum. I feel like I am enjoying via schadenfreude my drunk friend stepping on a plum. Also, they were driving barefoot. Is that normal? They shouldn't have been driving at all. They were hungover, (laughs) to be fair. Yeah. They've been throwing up all all morning. I feel like it's not like I I don't know. I don't know these things. Do people drive barefoot? I don't think I've ever driven barefoot. I have. I have. It's called high heels. Well, that's not why I did it, but That's why I did it. You got it when you can't wait to get your shoes off. That might be why I did it though. Because you were wearing high heels? No, I just don't like shoes. Oh. How was it? Um kind of disconcerting it feels wrong yeah and you can't have your shoes in the wheel well because that's dangerous yeah you could get they get stuck under the thing yeah you can't have them too far away either in case you get pulled over because it's illegal to drive barefoot oh wow it's against the law i'm pretty sure that's true i'm not sure i Actually, it might just be that it's illegal to have your shoes off because they're in the wheel well, so if they're not there, maybe it's okay. It feels weird, especially if you're totally barefoot, no socks, because you can, like, you feel the shape of the, you feel the, like, little lines on the, I don't know, it feels weird. 
for me, the extra sensory information was really just unexpected and distracting just because it was like, I got bare feet and there's textures down here. This is a familiar place and an unfamiliar sensation. Yeah. Much like an overripe plum would be an unfamiliar sensation. Unexpected. Didn't know the lines were there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm at the Rodriguez Law Group. Is it legal to drive barefoot in California? The law does not explicitly address this issue. Huh. However, all drivers have a duty to care, a duty of care to operate motor vehicles safely. Uh, if so. the if a police officer believes your failure to wear shoes contributed to the cause of an accident, you could receive a traffic citation. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So this sounds like officer discretion, which means probably they could also give you a citation if they just looked and decided that they felt like it was unsafe. Yeah. Even if it didn't contribute to an accident. I've driven in sandals way more than I've driven barefoot, and that always felt less safe. Driving in flops or sandals way less safe. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I do that all the time. Yeah, me too. Well, I don't drive that much, but I always wear sandals when I'm driving. YOLO. Sorry. 97 degrees out. Should not have been driving at all. Not fun. Should not have been driving in sandals. They repeat 97 degrees out. Yeah. Twice. Well, they got to convey both that the plum is hot. hot and the car is hot, but they're separate things that have to be hot for different reasons. I'm trying to imagine being really hungover in 97 degree weather, getting out of a hot car and stepping on a hot plum would be really distressing. I feel like this poem has helped me appreciate just how distressing it would be. But still, we find ways to keep ourselves going from day to day. Are we ready for another topic? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, your topic is Australia trends, pre versus post pay, pay at pump versus parking meter versus toll camera. Yeah. Okay. So we were there for a bit. I noticed several things that I thought were, some of them were better and some of them are clearly worse. And I'm like, how can you guys have these things so right and yet so wrong? So, all right. So the first one is in a restaurant, most of the time, you pay, you go and you order and you pay and you sit down. And then like when you're done eating, you just leave. I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Like I could get used to that. But then the freaking gas station, I kept going to the gas station and trying to buy gas. And like, you can't pay first. They get very confused if you try to prepay for gas. And I'm like, I just want to give you money and then go buy gas. And they're like, no, it's cool. Just put the gas in your car and then come pay us. It'll be fine. I'm like, why is it that you, you trust me at the gas station, but you don't trust me at the restaurant? This is very strange. And then I'm like thinking about the gas stations too. And then it's like, another thing you can't do is pay at the pump in any way, but you can dial in an amount of cash on the pump, the pump that doesn't take cash or cards, and then it will dispense exactly that amount of gas and you can go inside and pay for it. But like, the, just the, the utter lack of technology at the pump was bizarre. Whereas the parking meters generally took credit cards. Uh, and I was just like, but why do any of these things have to exist? Because the tolls that you pay to go over the bridge are just a camera on your license plate. And like all of these things could have been solved with a camera on the license plate, including the gas and the parking. So that was bizarre. It was they already place. had cameras in every lane at the pumps because ostensibly you could just drive up, fill up your car and drive away otherwise. They also had uh, no flush toilets, 
No flushing, only buttons. Oh, yeah, they did still flush. Oh yeah, okay. no, I meant, I meant, <laughs> I meant. Sorry, there was no handle. Okay, to flush all right. It. it was only buttons or pulls. But then other things were very convenient. Like in Sydney, you could just use your credit card to pay for all public transit with a tap. So you can get on the ferries or the bus or the train with just a credit card that you have that you brought from the States. And I'm like, why doesn't literally everything work this way? <laughs> why, why do so many places have to have like a clipper card or some other kind of app or whatever for your specific city? Yeah, that was really convenient. The exact opposite of the gas experience. Yeah. <laughs> like, the city bus has multiple credit card readers in it, like eight or something, and the frickin' gas pumps have zero. Also, weird. the gas prices are in cents. Cents per liter, yes. Cents per liter. So, the first time we saw gas prices, I was like, is 203 a good price? I don't know. Yeah, baffling. Uh, but I did like that they, they, like in the United States, they go to the 0.1 penny, but they didn't all end with 0.9. So that was nice. They're actually using their extra precision. I appreciate that. No one has paper towels. There just aren't any. I don't know what we were supposed to be using to clean up messes, but not paper towels. Regular towels? Maybe. I guess. I, sponges? I, I don't know. Did we have sponges? Maybe. Also, they have public restrooms, <laughs> but they all there's a bunch of buttons. You have to figure out how to operate them. And then when the doors opens, they're like, "Welcome to the public restroom. You have ten minutes to complete your piss. Make sure you're out before then." And then they'll play aggressive jazz music at you until you're <laughs> Well, until 10 minutes are up, and then it will say, the door is opening now. <laughs> you better be done. <laughs> they don't talk in that uh, transatlantic accent. <laughs> they use an I, Australian I was one. really but... hoping there would be some sort of ejection seat. <laughs> I'm not I mean, sure there isn't. But there was like literally like a countdown in one of them. Um, and And there's no like restrooms in businesses. Like you can't be sure that there's going to be a restroom in a restaurant that you're eating at or a grocery store that you go to. And more often than not, even if they did have a restroom, if you weren't a customer, they'd be like, go to the public one. It's two kilometers away. Have fun. So there were a number of instances where we uh, had to really scramble to find a public restroom. Yeah, they had like a lot of really cool nature that was close to cities including a place that I kept comparing to the Grand Canyon just as far as its, like, spectacularness and views uh, and gener general shape. And it had an electric commuter train from there all the way to Sydney. And I was like, imagine if you could, like, just live at the Grand Canyon or even Yosemite or something, and just jump on a, an electric commuter train into, like, San Francisco. That would be wild. Yeah. They have weird candy, too, like the aforementioned Turkish Delight. It's true. We went to um, Google in Melbourne. There was a guy in the, in the micro kitchen, and he was like, you guys want some candy bars or snacks or something? And we were like, yeah, sure. And he was like, what do you want? We have, you know, Cadbury, and we're like, what do you, what types? And he was like, 
oh, you know, it's Cadbury. I'm sure it's all the same kind of stuff you have in the United States. Uh, crunchy picnic, cherry ripe, uh, Turkish delight. And we were like, we've never heard of literally any of those. And he was like, okay, and threw a bunch of candy at us. <laughs> so we got to try all the weird candy. But my favorite was the honeycomb covered in chocolate flavor. Which is not actually honeycomb. No, it's it's not actually honeycomb, but it's it's a honey flavor and it's like poofy and crunchy with chocolate on it. Sounds pretty good. The the honeycomb filling has kind of the same texture as instant coffee does before you cook it. What? <laughs> it's not. It kind of does. It's no. so crunchy and like dry. I no. <laughs> Did you did you see any bats? We saw so many bats. Too many bats. I saw lots of bats. They just have bats and they just fly around in the city. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard that like they have bats like America has birds. They're so big. They have huge bats. Um, the, the biggest flying foxes, which they don't have the biggest ones in the world, but the biggest ones in the world can uh, have a wingspan of up to six feet. These ones weren't that big. These ones were not that big, but they were still probably, yeah, at least four feet. And they would just be flying around above your heads and like eating fruit and looking at you. And they're so cute. Shannon, your topic is bats, micro and mega. It's true. My topic is bats. What an amazing segue, Jim. (laughs) So, bats. Okay. Bats. Think about how many mammal species there are in the world. It's like three. There's at least three. (laughs) There's at least three mammal species in the world. But did you know that a quarter of those mammal species are bats? I don't don't think this math works out. Look to your left. (laughs) Look to your right. One of those is a bat. (laughs) Half of those is a bat. Wait. No. (laughs) Hang on. You're a person, too. Maybe you're a reptile. Anyway. Yes, a quarter of all mammal species are species of bats, which is insane. Also, there's like 1,400 different species of bats, which is a lot. And when I was in Australia, I got to go to a bat hospital where they had baby bats, and they were so cute. Right, there's micro-bats and mega-bats, and you would think that the difference would be the size. You would think that the mega-bats were the ones with a six-foot wingspan, for example, and the micro-bats were the ones that are uh, the size of a penny. Yeah, that is what I would have thought. Which is also the smallest mammal in the world, by the way, is a bat. But you'd be wrong. While micro-bats generally tend to be smaller than mega-bats... There are microbats that are bigger than megabats, and megabats that are smaller than microbats, and the difference is echolocation. Microbats use echolocation to find and hunt their food, and megabats use sight, I guess. I guess. <laughs> and smell, but not echolocation. Anyway, bats are really cool, and I think a lot of people don't realize how many bats there are, and also how important they are as like pollinators. Like Bananas and mangoes and agave, I think, for tequila, are all only pollinated by bats. I didn't know that. 
I didn't know that, and I went to the bat hospital with you. Yeah. Uh, saguaro cactuses. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that is only pollinated by bats or by humans. And Australia has a lot of bats. And we were in the Daintree Rainforest, which is the oldest rainforest in the world. And it had like 62% of Australia's bats. So there were just a bunch of bats in there. And that made, that gave me comfort because I like bats a lot. I don't know. I think not enough people know cool facts about bats or think that bats are bad. And they're not bad. They're very good um, and extremely cute. They just need a hug. I mean, the baby ones, they literally give them stuffed animals because they need hugs. They need to, like, snuggle a warmth and stuff. Wow. Anyway, we saw a lot of bats, and I don't know, they're just, they're so big, and it's it's just kind of cool to be, like, out at night and see a big, what you think is a bird flying over, and then go, oh, that's not a bird, that's a big bat that just flew over my head instead. It's a pretty weird feeling. It, it was very, like, I feel like it should be Halloween, but it's actually New Year's. Yeah, you'd see them flying past the moon, and it would look very spooky, but, you know. It's, like, cartoonishly yes, spooky. Yes, cartoonishly spooky. <laughs> exactly. And they were very curious about people. Like, the baby bats would just, like, come up to you and check you out. They wanted to know what was up yeah but i don't know they're just they're they're so i keep saying that but it's true i just i liked being in a place where one could just see bats all the time here you kind of have to go out of your way a bit to see bats or you know if you do see bats you see them like flat by really quick but you don't see them chill in a tree and eat fruit in front of you yeah that sounds incredible it was very cool I didn't know there were so many bats, and I didn't know that they were such a big part of the pollinating ecosystem and the bug-eating ecosystem. They eat so many bugs. I'm into that. They eat, like, half their body weight in insects every night. It's good work. The ones that do eat insects. <laughs> also, they eat a wider range of things than all other mammals combined. So there's, like, a bat that only eats fish. And there's a bat that only eats orb web spiders. And we saw ghost bats at a zoo. Um, ghost bats are a microbat, but they're really big for a microbat. <laughs> they're like, I don't know. 20 feet long. No, not that big. They, they looked bat-sized to me. Like, if you imagine the size of a bat... Yeah, the bat, the bat, no, no, no. By which he means not a real bat. Like, the size of a bat you'd buy at, like, a Halloween store. Like, if you were getting a bat decoration and you were guessing what the size of a bat was, they're that size. Yeah, sure, so. yeah. Um, but we saw them get fed. They put in a bunch of dead baby chicks, like chicken chicks, and these guys just flew down and picked up whole chicks and ate them, even though the they chicks would, like, were like... them off. Yeah, they would fly down and pick them up and carry them up and then hang upside down eating these dead chicks that were like almost the size of their bodies. It was crazy. Those are weird bats, man. Yeah. Just, yeah, I just want to feed them chicken nuggets instead. They'd probably yeah. go for that. They were pretty enthused, and they were fighting over them and stuff. Oh, yeah, the chicken nuggets would be even worse. They'd be like, oh, no, this is my nug. 
Yeah. That's right. You gotta get the big 20 piece, 40 piece. Everybody should care about bats and not think that they're bad. Oh yeah, if you if you ever happen to be in Cairns or up near the Daintree na- uh, Forest, please go to the Tolga Bat Hospital. That place was great, and they're doing great work because, like, I don't know, they rehabilitate spectacled flying foxes, which are a species of bat that is native up there that's responsible for pollinating most of the types of rare rainforest that is in that area. But in 2018, due to climate change, a heat wave killed one-third of their entire population. So they are now critically endangered uh, due to climate change and other factors. So they're doing their best, this little bat hospital, to try to try to keep them alive. They have many, many, many bats. A counterpoint, aren't they just mice with wings? Okay, so... No. Well, well, okay, arguably, okay, so there's a species of bat that lives in, like, Guam? I can't remember. It's somewhere, there's a species of bat that lives on some island somewhere where there are not other mammals. And that species of bat still has wings, but only uses them to glide, does not actually fly with them anymore, and spends almost all of its time on the forest floor hunting on the ground. So essentially they reverse niched into being mice. So it is the theory about how bats evolved essentially is that mice started jumping a lot (laughs) or some kind of small rodent. This is really like what, what people are guessing is that essentially some small rodent started trying to leap farther and farther between distances and then eventually became a glider, and then eventually became a flyer. Um, and that these these random bats in this place that didn't have any other competition just said, oh man, I'm going to go back to being a mouse. That was way easier. But there is also an Aesop's Fables in which... There's two, actually. There's, there's one where the bat uh, is approached by the birds, and they say, we're going into a war against the beasts, so you should join us. And the bat said, sorry, I'm a beast. And then the beasts say, you should join us in the war against the birds. And he says, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm a bird, actually. And uh, doesn't join either side, and then they both hate him. And the moral is, don't, don't do that, I guess. But there's another story <laughs> by the same set, in the same set of stories in which a weasel catches a bat and says, I'm going to kill you because I hate all mice. And the bat says, well, I'm clearly not a mouse. Look, I've got wings. I can fly. I'm a bird. And the weasel's like, ah, fair enough, and lets him go. And then another weasel catches him and says, I'm going to kill you because I hate all birds. And the bat says, look, I'm clearly not a bird. Look at my body. I'm clearly a mouse. And he goes, ah, good point, and lets him go. So that seems to be the exact opposite moral. And then there's a third one where a bat borrows money from somebody and then his business goes under and he becomes nocturnal to avoid his creditors. So who knows what these fables are about really? I think that's the most practical life lesson one. (laughs) If you, if you go into debt and can't pay off the loan sharks, try only eating at night. Yeah. Never be yourself. Hide from your creditors. It's a good lesson. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. <laughs> you, I hope you learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> <laughs>
Shannon, if this is something that you want, where can people find people find you on the internet? They can't. And Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on the Topic Lords Discord. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!